1: Our guest today for Spirit in Action is Haley Hathaway, and she is one of the thousand plus crowd of Quakers spending a week at the University of Toledo, Ohio, as part of the Friends General Conference gathering, an annual extravaganza, which I attend yearly. I noticed in the advance schedule that Haley was scheduled to speak at a session sponsored by Quaker Earth Care Witness, for which she is the publications coordinator. So I checked out her background, including her experience living in a few different intentional communities, and the six years she spent in Mexico City working with Casa de los Amigos. Haley is passionate about ecology, economy, and faith, and she's embraced simplicity and radical sharing in communal living, all elements to effectively working toward world healing, in my opinion. Before we talk to Haley Hathaway, I'd like to get you warmed up with a bit of music, a song about community, the kind of living together, helping each other, really having each other's backs, the kind of living Haley has adopted. So we're going to listen to Circle of Friends, performed by a former Song of Soul guest of mine, Susan Grace. Here's to Community and a Circle of Friends, then on to Haley Hathaway.
2: Circle
0: of Friends, circle of friends, hand to hand 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 and heart to heart.
2: Good friends always make up the right right part, stretching around this land, hearts hearts to hand hand. in the Circle of Friends, circle of
0: friends.
2: The way that I see this land, it's just like a homemade quilt. People like different fabrics sewn together with love and goodwill. Different kinds of fabric, some are old and some are new. Each with their heartfelt stories, oh there's a place in it just for you. In the circle of friends. Hand to hand 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 and heart to heart. heart. Good friends always make up the right part. Stretching around this land, hearts to hand in the circle of friends.
0: Circle of friends.
2: Sometimes this world is lonely and there seems no place to turn. This life is never easy for there are lessons to be learned. The road may be rough and rocky and there are mountains to be climbed. But if we reach out to one another, oh, the sun will surely shine in the circle of friends. Circle of
0: friends.
2: Hand to hand and heart to heart. Good friends always make up the right part. Stretching around the slant hearts to hand in the circle of friends. Circle of friends. Oh, we are a nation of people consumed by having things. But the greatest treasures that we hold are the things that cannot be seen. For in our hearts and souls lies a seed that can be sown. We are here to love one another and in loving we are whole. In the circle of friends, circle
0: of friends, hand to hand 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 and heart to
2: heart. heart. Good friends always make up the right part Stretching around this land, hearts to hand In the circle of friends Circle
0: of friends In the
2: circle of friends Circle of friends In the circle of friends
1: Haley, thank you so much for joining me for Spirit in Action.
3: It's a pleasure. Hello.
1: I'm tempted to try and go right through your entire resume You're a young person compared to me. I mean, I'm 64. It looks to me like you're at the beginning, and yet your resume feels to me very impressive, particularly, I think, your efforts with community. When I turned 50, a little bit after that, I became very interested in what I was going to do when I grew up. So I did some searching. I visited a number of intentional communities to try and see if that's where I belonged. When did you start looking to live in community?
3: I think I was first inspired by Dorothy Day and the Catholic workers, which I found out about in college, I think by a fluke. I was studying government, political science, but had grown up Christian, went to a congregational church and was really interested in finding ways to serve my community. And so Dorothy Day's ideas of radical hospitality inspired me to think differently about how to live Not necessarily the work that I was doing yet, but who I wanted to live with and how. And so I moved to Washington, D.C. right after college and actually started a semi-intentional community with some people that I met on Craigslist, (laughs) Uh, which my mom wasn't too happy about, that I was going to live with strangers in a strange city. But that got me on the path to thinking about what it's like to live with people you don't know, people who say to ha- share values. And since then, I've lived in some different communities and I'm continue on that path to think about what intentional living looks like and try to work to, I think, make an impact on my community through the kind of very essence of like who you brushing your teeth next to and and who you eat your meals with.
1: So you said congregational is part of the background there. There's multiple ways in which we live in our lives in community. One of them is sometimes the religious or spiritual community we're part of. It might be that we're part of a labor union. It might be part of we're we're part of a neighborhood that has a real feel of community. It can also be our workplace. Sometimes when you're in a university, the university is a primary community for people. So spiritual communities particularly, congregational is one. Were there others?
3: I grew up in the Congregational Church, and when I moved to Washington, D.C., I found the Church of the Savior, which is a small, non-hierarchical, progressive, evangelical, ecumenical church that was doing a lot of work rooted in the urban landscape of D.C. and really fell in love with that community, their way of interacting with the world, and I was an active part of the church there for a few years while I lived there. And then I moved to Mexico to work at a Quaker center for peace, the Casa de los Amigos. And the Church of the Savior wasn't there. The Quakers were there. And so I embarked on a path of learning more about friends. And eventually my own convincement experience brought me to the Quaker faith, not just the Quaker practice.
1: Part of what I'm wondering also is this community that travels with you. Almost all of us start from a nuclear family, which is a tense kind of community. Has that community traveled with you? I mean, not physically, but are you still rooted there?
3: In my homeland?
1: In your family, in your nuclear family, so to speak. Let me just say, I grew up in a large family, 12 kids, and it felt to me like I left them at a certain point, and my community became elsewhere.
3: I recently moved back to New England. I grew up in Connecticut, and one of the reasons that I moved back is to be closer to my family, that I had felt that I had really gone off and embarked in different experiences and and different worlds and wanted to reconnect to that nuclear family. Uh, So my my parents live pretty close, my brother lives pretty close, but I do find most of my spiritual communities and I think probably – emotional communities and support communities outside of that structure.
1: You may wonder why I'm asking these questions, and it's part because I think it's part and parcel of how we end up finding who we are to consider where we've been and which roots we choose to maintain, which is a root and which is expendable, right? Part of my sense is that our world has become less and less rooted So, that the only thing people are rooted in is their job, or they're rooted in the house they might own, but then they sell that and they move in, you know, they've got a starter house and they move on. Whereas, probably. My dad grew up in the house of my grandparents and that stayed in the family for over 60 years. There's none of this trading up. And so I think for some of us, the thirst for community and the thirst for safety and dependability and connection, all those needs which are fundamental to humans, we've lost because we pop here and there. And so you certainly moved a lot of places. That's why I was asking if you still had those roots.
3: Sometimes I talk about my constant tension between commitment and freedom and how I really hold those two pieces and and what you're saying speaks to that. I'm also a fan of Wendell Berry. I love the ideas of being so attached to a place. I've been reading a lot about watersheds and being connected to the land, especially as a person of faith, what it means to be rooted. The idea that Jesus never left his watershed is very powerful to me. And so the place where I'm at now in my my faith journey and my life journey is coming to terms with some of those big questions. I made a conscious decision to move to a rural community where I thought that I could find and really grow those roots with people who had already started that journey, like-minded people. That's definitely a tension with my desire to quest, to keep searching and to learn new things meet new people, um, which was definitely a, a dynamic experience living in, in cities like Washington, D.C. and Mexico City. So I'm always thinking about those dynamics. And especially for people in my generation, you know, I really, I believe in this idea that we have to be rooted in our communities. And I also don't want to live in my hometown. <laughs> you what? know, so I'm, I'm trying to there. figure that been, out.
1: Been there, felt I'm Trying that to figure one. that out. yeah. Well, I do want to talk about environmental work. I want to talk about finances. I want to talk about living in community. Those are all three big topics that I'd like to explore with you. First of all, what's your age?
3: I'm going to be 32, so half of 64.
1: Half of 64. So you're half my age, but twice my wisdom, right?
3: We're a good team.
1: (laughs) I do think that the way that you've lived in community in a couple different places means that you have some wisdom that I want to draw on. You've also had to live with some adversity, I'd say, that probably I didn't have to live through. I finished college with $3,000 worth of debt, which, if you consider for inflation, might be, you know, $15,000 now. I finished it with that much debt. And I think that it's an amazing person who can get away with that little debt these days. You went to college? Did you end up with uh, debt?
3: I did, though I was privileged to go to a fancy liberal arts college that had a lot of money and financed a lot of my education. Uh, and my parents saved a lot, too. I probably ended up with about $20,000, though I haven't worked for very much money basically since I graduated, so compound interest really has made that situation a little bit more difficult. Um, so that's something that we've actually been... Talking about among young friends and older friends, especially thinking about our my Quaker peers, kind of what can we do about student debt? Is there something that the Quaker community could do? Another way of expressing our faith and sharing our resources? Can we buy student debt and charge a lower interest rate? I have a student loan that's at six point eight percent. Unsubsidized government loan. That's that's a lot.
1: Yeah, it is. And I'm partly asking that because that also then interacts with how you deal with finances personally and how you deal with living in community, right? So we're going to get to that topic shortly, but I want to ask some of the particulars of your living in community. And again, folks, we're speaking with Haley Hathaway here today for Spirit in Action. She's the Publications Coordinator. That website, QuakerEarthCare.org, it's Quaker Earth Care Witnesses, the organization, After college, after living in Washington, D.C., where you've already shared a couple lessons, you moved to Mexico City and lived with Casa de los Amigos. What were you doing there, and why were you doing there?
3: In college, I went to Mexico to study abroad and fell in love with the country and the language, and after working for a few years in D.C., realized that I could continue having a nice life in D.C. or fulfill my dream of moving back to Mexico. So I looked online and found this really interesting place, a Quaker Center for Peace and International Understanding that was doing hospitality, immigration work, economic justice work, and I thought, this is the place for me. How could anything be better? So I applied to be a volunteer to go there for six months, and I was there for six years.
1: Wow, six years.
3: So I I ended up working there, and I became the executive director in the last three years I was there.
1: And what was your work kind of particularly?
3: So the CASA is an amazing place. It's a center for hospitality. So we have, at any given night, 40 people from all over the world staying there alongside immigrants and refugees who are recently arrived to Mexico, many from Africa and Central America, uh, who need emergency housing often as they're going through the process of applying for asylum. So we were doing the work of offering hospitality. At the same time, we were a space for groups in Mexico to come meet. We'd have human rights defenders, journalists. Um, It was really a meeting space in the middle of the city for people doing progressive social justice work. And the Quaker meeting was there, the Mexico City Quaker meeting. And we did a number of different projects around immigration issues and talking about trying to support local economies. So it's just a really dynamic space with lots of energy, and I was always kind of right in the middle of it. The staff and volunteers lived at the CASA too. So I talk about the CASA not only as my workplace, but one of my communities.
1: The work you were actually doing, you said it's the work of hospitality. Does that mean you were cooking, cleaning, cleaning toilets, you know, sweeping floors? What were you doing?
3: I'm a really good dishwasher after working at the Casa. Yeah, we always talk about that hospitality and community really start with who's doing the dishes. And we would do a little bit of all that. You know, we'd make breakfast every morning. That was one of the places where I'd often like to share. You know, that's where I saw our piecework really come to life. You know, when you have a Quaker from the United States sitting down with a Congolese refugee, sitting down with an activist in Mexico all around the breakfast table, drinking coffee, learning about each other. And those are moments that I think about often now being away from there in our current political context. How can we do more of that?
1: Did you finish college as a political science major? And a little bit of Spanish in there, Spanish minor? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, I, so it's I was just guessing on that Latin
3: American one, studies.
1: So your political science major goes with you. You know how to cook and clean, but you also know something about facilitating. Had you had training? Because it's not just diplomacy that you're doing when you're bringing different nations together. Is this drawing on anything that you get out of political science, or is this all stuff that you learned alternatively? Where did you get the skills that you used with
3: people there? That's a great question. That's like part of my origin story I'm going to have to think about. At the CASA, we also did some work with the Alternatives to Violence Project in Mexico. And that was definitely an important part of my own understanding of how to do the work of relating and connecting and we would use the tools from AVP with all of our staff. Um, so that was one of the foundations for how to interact. I learned a lot from my coworkers, too. I'd say I learned a lot through the experience. And I think some of it is a gift of hospitality. Um, and going into that situation as a learner, that was something that I tried to pass on to the other folks coming from the United States. That's such a tricky position to be in, you know. Uh, a person from a country that, you know, has dominated Mexico, tried to invade Mexico a few times, totally involved in the economy. There's such a close relationship between the two countries. But yet I can go there and cross the border whenever I want. And that doesn't work the other way. Um, So there's a lot of intentionality that if anyone's going to spend a lot of time there from the United States, we have to really go in being open. And that mentality made it a lot easier to do um, any type of Relating work with with anyone from any of the countries we were working with.
1: So you rose from whatever your original six month post was called up to executive director. You've learned AVP along the way. You've probably learned Quaker processes in general being there. And you felt like it was your community. Was your job your community? I'm trying to sort out because you describe it as living in community. Talk about how it was community, if you would.
3: At the CASA, there was a core team of volunteers and staff, and we spent a lot of time together and supported each other in both our personal and professional journeys. As the executive director, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what felt like a right balance between what needs to be professional What is personal? What does that look like? And those are questions that I'm still asking, especially in a Quaker context, you know, how to do this work with integrity, how to be a leader with integrity. So when I talk about community, I mean, what I think of in that context was really being support systems, helping each other learn. And the reality that it's hard to hide when you're living in a house in the middle of Mexico City, and and need to sit at the reception desk for four hours. There's not really anywhere you can go. So there's a way in which you know we had to be open and trusting and honest with each other.
1: Had you already been prepared for community before you got to Casa de los Amigos?
3: You can't really prepare for going to the casa. Because it's unlike any other place, really, I think there is. Living in D.C. and living in the community that I lived in, D.C. and doing the work that I did in D.C., which was in a fast-paced environment with a lot of diversity already, I think also also prepared me.
1: So you spent the six years there in Mexico City. Environmentalism is certainly a big part of your life now. What I understand about Mexico City, last I checked, and that was probably 10 or 20 years ago, there were some 20 million people in Mexico City. I have to think that in some ways it's an environmental nightmare. Uh, I understand that the water that they've pulled out of the ground has meant that the whole city has been sinking by feet each year. Where did you get your environmentalism? Was it, did it predate going to Mexico City?
3: Well, I'll just start by saying that Mexico City is one of the most unsustainable places in the whole world. It's an amazing place to be to be thinking about environmental issues and working on because it just inherently shouldn't have as many people as it does. It used to be a lake, and now 30 million people live in it. 30 million, yeah, in the metropolitan area. I came to environmentalism through social justice work, my lens is is economic more than anything i um, you know I studied government in college and realized that wow, it's really all about money, isn't it, and who has it and so i I see my work now working on environmental concerns as part of a, of a very important understanding of justice of social justice, um, and have been really. It's been really wonderful to learn more about the world of environmental concerns, especially as it relates to my faith.
1: Which year did you actually leave from Mexico to come back to D.C. area?
3: So I left Mexico two years ago and went on a journey around the United States to figure out where I was going to be living. I was interested in trying to live in a rural community and, and wanting to find an, an intentional community to live in. So I traveled with my partner, and we traveled around the country visiting family and friends, wondering, are there any Quaker communes? <laughs> and ended up in, in New Hampshire, where I am now, uh, which is a small co-housing, Quaker co-housing community called South of Monadnock.
1: Where does Twin Oaks fit into your history?
3: Part of my journey was to go to Virginia and live at Twin Oaks and do their visitor program for three weeks. Twin Oaks is the oldest, longest running, and I think largest commune in the United States. And that was part of my experiment to understand community better and see what it might like to live there.
1: I found an article by you about that experience in the Friends Journal from back in 2017 I'll have a link to that on the org website. Could you say a little bit about your lessons of spending a few weeks there? So this is a very different community experience than living in Casa de los Amigos. So what did you learn in those three weeks?
3: Twin Oaks is a really fascinating place, especially um, if you're interested, as I am, in figuring out alternative ways to deal with money and work Twin Oaks is set up where 100 people live there full time and run two successful businesses as a community, which means that no one has to have a job off the property and everyone has enough to, to live there simply but successfully. And everyone at Twin Oaks works 42 hours a week. And that work includes cleaning, cooking, child care so their commitment to equality uh, is expressed through this idea that that your 1 hour of doing the finances is the same as my 1 hour of cleaning the bathrooms. And I was very impressed by how well it was run. They joke that it was set up by scientists, not hippies, which is why it's been so successful. But the systems in place were so stable that people could come in and out of the commune and, you know, people would leave after a few years. New people would come in and everything would, would, would pretty much work. And I thought that was a really a fascinating model considering a lot of these communities are really set up by kind of charismatic leaders. But one of my big takeaways kind of thinking about my own journey and why I'm not there now is that I did miss a spiritual depth. There's a way in which everything's really set up, but there's not a lot of there's no time where the, the whole community comes together. There's a way in which there's this kind of larger shared project, but I was I was missing what I would say was the spiritual element and a deeper sense of connection. And I think for me, what I'm seeking is to really build something with other people based in, yeah, a commitment to a better world. So I wanted to be part of the building, not the kind of just the maintaining.
1: Was their focus at Twin Oaks, was it on making a better world by living better themselves maybe? Or is it the question of doing work, outward-reaching work? And again, you're because you're publications manager for Quaker Earth Care Witness. You're disseminating, you're reaching out. They don't have anything parallel reaching out to the world from Twin Oaks?
3: They have a couple of conferences a year. They have a communities conference, communities gathering, which is really wonderful, and have actually sparked a number of other communities. If you go to Louisa County, Virginia, there are a bunch of intentional communities near Twin Oaks. So people have left over the years and said, this is not quite how we want to do it. ACORN is a community down the street that is much more anarchist in its organization. You know, they said, we don't want to have to work 42 hours, and they figured out a way to make it work basically down the street in a different way. I think that's part of their work now, is to really kind of inspire, be the, the mom or the dad of intentional communities, and then, you know, the kids get to go out and try it their own way and learn the lessons the hard way.
1: I find it really important for me listening to you to hear experience of a younger generation. Now, again, I turned 18 in 1972, and that's just after you know the 60s happened, right? So I was definitely affected by that. The world's changed significantly in that way. College debt goes up. Things become very different from your generation. There was a point in the 1970s where the number of business majors and the numbers of humanity majors majors has flipped. So you grew up in a time when young people had very much different forces working on them when they went through college. In terms of community, I loved your description that they see themselves as a community more created by scientists than hippies. Monadnock, is there more of a balance between the hippie and the science, or maybe it's all hippie? I'm trying to get the flavor of what influence has drawn you?
3: I think the South of Monadnock community is a pretty good balance of hippies and scientists. <laughs> I found this community because it was rooted in Quakerism. Part of the mission is to base their practices in Quakerism. And the community is is at a place where it has set up a lot of the legal structures. That takes a lot of work and energy. Um, it's, it's done with the legal legal structures and now really is in a growing and discerning phase. So that's really exciting for me. To and, and I did realize, especially being at Twin Oaks, that I wanted to be part of that process. At the same time, it has a long history. The South of the community is where the meeting school used to be, which was a Quaker boarding school. Um, so the property is rooted in history, um, and we have a rich community there because of this much longer tradition. So there's a way in which it kind of speaks to the different balances that I'm looking for of being able to create something, but but have it be rooted in, yeah, rooted in history.
1: One of the qualities that's probably different between Twin Oaks and the south of Monadnock community is this thing about spirituality. But spirituality is such a difficult world. You actually kill it if you trap it too closely. Would you say that Twin Oaks was not spiritual?
3: I think there were a lot of people there who were spiritual. I think the nature of the community was to not get into that territory in some ways. It's a little bit complicated, because another fun fact about Twin Oaks is that they Legal status is set up as a religious institution, like a monastery, and they actually help create the United States, like IRS tax law, because they were sued by the IRS a number of times, and Twin Oaks had to show them that actually, hey, look, we do have a credo. You know, these are our our very strict values, and this is how we're we're living them out. You know, this commitment to egalitarianism. So and that adds a kind of an interesting twist on the idea of like, what is spirituality. To me, it really came to kind of coming together was the thing that I missed. It felt like the energy was, was a little bit dispersed. You know, maybe that's my need for a rallying cry, I don't know. But I think that's kind of how I noticed it.
1: A need for a meeting in, in both the Quaker sense and the, the other sense. Uh, again, because you're a younger generation— My sense is that more young people these days are used to uh, less physical face-to-face community. Is that sense? Is that what you grew up with? Is that something you have in common or not in common with a lot of other people of your age?
3: I don't think so, actually. I think there's this way in which technology makes us crave that human connection maybe even more. Or maybe it's the circles that I'm in. I mean, I I spend time with people who are really interested in, you know, and concerned about the future and figuring out kind of what we need to do within the constraints of the things you already mentioned, like overwhelming debt and stagnant minimum wage. Um, You know, it's a real grind. And so I think like the stress of our modern living makes it so like we really grasp onto those connections. I know a lot of people my age that would do what, I, what I'm doing if they had less student debt, you know, or if they didn't have an obligation to place or a person or a job commitment.
1: We're going to hear more from Haley Hathaway in just a moment, but first I want to remind you you are listening to Spirit in Action. NorthernSpiritRadio.org is the website for Northern Spirit Radio are links to our guests. So like you can find links to QuakerEarthCare.org, which is Quaker Earth Care Witnesses' website, where Haley Hathaway is the publications manager. I'm also going to have links to the south of Monadnock.org website because that's where she's now located. But I'm also going to try and include something pointing you to Twin Oaks Community, one of the places in Casa de los Amigos, all of those links and many more are on the website, nortonspiritradio.org, as well as those links for all of our guests for the last 13 years. There's a place for comments, and we do love two-way communication, so post a comment when you visit. When you listen to us talking with Haley, we'd love your feedback there. Also, there's a donate button. This is full-time work, and it's only supported by your donations, not by government, not by corporations. It's because you, the listener, want to value it. So please, support us when you come. Even more important, local media is absolutely crucial. Too few people realize that 90% plus of our media are controlled by six corporations, which means that... The Six corporations are acting as intermediaries, controlling what you hear. That is not true of local community radio stations. They've got an authentic local voice and a freedom that you do not have. And usually they're staffed by volunteers. They run on shoestring budgets. So each dollar that you donate to them makes a very big difference in terms of them being able to pay the rate and pay for electricity to broadcast. So please, start out by supporting them. Before we head back to our talk with Haley Hathaway, I wanted to share with you a bit of music that seemed to me flavored with the life lessons that she has tasted in her peregrinations, including through the several forms of intentional community she's occupied, among them her six years in Mexico with Casa de los Amigos. The song that jumped to mind for me is Somos el Barco, which a lot of people have done, but I wanted to trundle out a really obscure version. Years ago, I welcomed on Song of the Soul an awesome woman, Sue Kranz, who, among other things, taught at Cambridgeport School, and she nurtured all kinds of songs in her students, then made a cassette of them called Cambridge Port School's Greatest Hits. So here's Sue Krantz and her students singing of working and living together in English and Spanish in a wonderful song called Somos El Barco, We Are the Boat. Then back to Haley Hathaway. Again, Haley Hathaway here. I'm wending my way towards some of your environmental concern and some more specifics about finances. Uh, Haley's sharing with me at a gathering of the Friends General Conference. Uh, the topic that I put out for the listeners in the room to know what they were coming to listen to is earth community values and money dilemmas. And we've touched on some of those money dilemmas. But I think there's a lot more that we're going to learn. And I I want to know how you're making ends meet, Haley. That's one of the very important things. So let's continue. You moved to the community relatively recently. On the website, they still don't list your name, by the way. I was looking through the people who are located there and who's occupying what houses and which ones were free. And it's about a 100-acre plot that we're talking about with the south of Monadnock community. So how recently did you go there, and they have a house, or do you have to just tent or what?
3: Uh, I moved there a year ago, and I'm not listed on the website yet because I'm not a full member because I haven't bought a house. So part of the way that this community is structured is that the property is communally owned. You're right, there's there's uh, about 120 acres, and each family or each person that lives in the community basically buys in by buying one of the houses, and that's privately owned. It's set up like a condo. Um, So different communities use different legal structures, and that's the one that this community picked out is working best for them. Not too many small condos in southern New Hampshire. So the community spent a lot of time on the legalities, but we got it figured out. And so now I'm trying to save up money to buy a house.
1: And are you saving up money? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking this is one of these money dilemmas.
3: Yeah, totally. I've done a lot of interesting things where I've been able to follow strong leadings, but I basically don't have any money. In Mexico, that wasn't too much of a problem. You know, we had salaries that paid for what we needed, but getting paid in pesos for six years, you know, in terms of Basically, you know, lost time in the traditional sense of where a 32 year old should be who has kind of my background. You know, compared to a lot of my peers, they're, they're making a ton of money. Um, and then I've made some decisions like working part time for Quaker Earth Care Witness that have really prioritized other things like being able to be at, at something like Friends General Conference, traveling, or being able to connect with this work than money. So I have the benefit of being in a relationship. So I have a partner, and I don't know how single people do it. I mean, I think about that a lot when, I, when I'm thinking about these financial concerns. You know, southern New Hampshire, rent is expensive. So right now we're renting. Um, and thankfully, we're, we live in a place where we're getting support and do some work trades. But yeah, the reality is, is that it's really a hustle.
1: So is this a dilemma that has some lessons from you for other people?
3: The reason that I have been thinking and trying to live in community is because I really believe that living with other people makes your life easier. There's a lot of hard things about having to live with people that people are obnoxious and can be selfish and don't communicate. But when it comes down to it, you know, we, I think as humans, are meant to connect and meant to to live amongst each other. You know, what could a little village look like? And one of the benefits of that, that lifestyle is that things should be cheaper, you know, when you can share resources, whether it's time or childcare or food. I think that that's definitely, for me, a part of the answer of figuring this out. And that's been true for me this past year and true for me, especially when I was living in D.C., We'd always joke about God's economy as we like slowly started to furnish our unfurnished apartment. We had a big house. There were six of us living in, a, in one of the townhouses in D.C., but no one had any money. And so, you know, we'd pick up one thing off the street and then a friend was moving and we'd get their table. And, yeah, it's cooperation and figuring out how to live together.
1: In Madison, Wisconsin end of semester when people are moving frequently there's a lot of things put out on the street they refer to it as hippie christmas perfect (laughs) yeah it's god's economy at work so you definitely are wrestling with this and as you said you have a partner but by the way i have a partner my wife when the clearness committee helped free me to do this work of norton spirit radio back in 2005 that meant that i cut my other paid work significantly the intent was that I would have a living wage eventually from Norton Spirit Radio. I don't yet, but I do still have a wife, and so I am I am a kept man in essence. So you're being a kept person as well?
3: You know, that's something that actually um, J.T., my partner, and I are trying to figure out. He's been working also part-time, and we've basically been making the same amount since we've known each other, and he just started working full-time as a registered nurse, which is what he was trained to do. So now we have pretty significant difference in income. And so this is the first time that we've had to figure out those dynamics. And so thankfully we're on the same page about most things, and, and we're definitely working through that, trying to figure that out. I've been able to support myself. I still could. But I also like to do fun things, so I'm not sure if this is a lifestyle If I have to do some reining in of my lifestyle of traveling, for example.
1: In the Friends Journal article about your experience at Twin Oaks, you mentioned that the average American consumes about five times what our planet can sustain and that the folks who are living in Twin Oaks are consuming at survival rate what the Earth can supply. And this thought was spurred by the fact that you said that uh, you like to have fun too, or <laughs> you know, that that's part of maybe beyond our survival rate for the planet. So you're wrestling with these dilemmas. So, where, what state are you at in your wrestling with that? Do you want to live at just two times what the planet can survive? You're doing this work with Quaker Earth Care Witness as well. So, I mean, there's probably a shame factor every time you have an ice cream cone.
3: Maybe more like coffee or sausage. (laughs) (laughs) I think about these questions a lot. I really do. I feel committed to a simple lifestyle. And my growing edges are definitely around travel. There are a lot of folks in Quaker Earth Care Witness who are very committed to no plane travel. Um, you know, and I've created a a dilemma where I, I have a lot of important people in my life that live in Mexico City, and I'm not sure I'm ready to take the, the three-day bus ride down there. So that's definitely a place where I have been starting to play around with what that witness looks like of taking the train. We had a board meeting in Chicago in April, and I took the train home, and it was wonderful. And when I travel on the East Coast, I always take the train. So that's definitely a place where I could where I could see myself kind of improving in terms of that simple lifestyle. I also think about getting around in cars. You know, I, I do live in a rural place and there isn't public transportation. Um, right now, uh, my partner and I share a car. I have a bike. I'm trying to bike more. I also try to find the balance between focusing too much on my on my own personal witness and, and really activism and what, what I could be doing in the community. I think sometimes, especially it is easy to get stuck in the like, what are the right things I could buy or not buy and, and not take it to the next level. So I also try to maintain that balance.
1: We talked earlier, Haley, about college debt. And again, compared to a lot of people, your college debt is not enormous, except at six or 7%, you it, it grows pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Having taken at least six years, I guess maybe 10 years, you've had this college debt, it does grow a lot. What's your attitude about it? At a certain point, it probably feels like this is something that's just going to engulf you and you have to, in some way, get rid of it. What's your current state of wrestling with college debt as a financial issue for someone who wants to live simply?
3: I think it's time to get rid of it. (laughs) I do have some savings and I've been working on that. I I worked an extra job last year and and worked part-time on... The farm that's part of our community and didn't have didn't have any rent, didn't have to pay rent. So I, I have been saving up some, or did save up some, and JT and I've made the decision that I really do need to to prioritize paying that off. Um, now that he's in a more stable stable situation, and that feels like the right thing to do, you know, if if we have the sum of money that we can actually actually work with. But I have a friend who is thinking about coming to the community who has $100,000 in debt, works as a nurse. I think I've got a small problem to solve, but I think about if this friend moves into our community, what could we do to help her? That feels like a much more important problem than, you know, the thousands of $7,000 that I have.
1: Let's shift now, Haley, and talk a little bit about your work with Quaker Earth Care Witness. Again, you're the publications manager for that. What does that mean? Are you just in charge of sending out stuff, or are you in charge of negotiating with people who's going to write what, what are your future publications? What does it mean to be the publications manager?
3: I do a little bit of all that. I edit and write for and design our newsletter, Befriending Creation, which is more like a publication 12 pages comes out quarterly and really tries to share with friends what other friends are are doing around earth care around north america and then i also do work on our website help people get outreach materials for their quaker meetings their yearly meetings uh, and try to be kind of a support person for for folks who are doing the work in the communities around earth care Um, So sharing our resources. Quaker Earth Care Witness has a lot of information. And so I'm always thinking about how to better share that information. We're a network of people who have been working on environmental concerns for decades and have a lot of wisdom to share around it. So my job is to think about how to get that out and get people to understand it and then care about it.
1: Living simply is certainly a big part of in some way trying to reconcile how we're dealing with the planet. You mentioned sausages before. I've been a vegetarian since nineteen seventy six. I read somewhere that being a vegan, and I'm not a vegan, you take an average American if that that average American's environmental footprint could be decreased significantly if they went vegan, even if they were driving a Hummer, that, in fact, the food that we eat is so influential in terms of how we affect the earth. What wrestling or encounter do you have with that? How do you think about that, and particularly as part of Quick Earth Care Witness?
3: Uh, Meat eating and vegetarianism is a very passionate issue, in Quaker Earth Care Witness. People have very strong feelings, and from my understanding is that there are many different ways of looking at this question. Personally, I am lucky that one of the community businesses at South of Monadnock is a vegetable farm, Um, so I spend a lot of my time with the farmers who are vegan and get to eat food grown across the street and in my backyard um, every day. So for me i'm I'm really interested in kind of seeing how close I can get to eating from my area. Um, we also have friends who have farms in the area, and so I think my where I'm at right now is really trying to move toward the local. Um, we have chickens and sheep and cows, too, and so that's an experiment that i'm that I'm engaging in, seeing what that's like. Sometimes I say that if I really um, had more self-discipline, I'd be a vegan. I do I do think that that can be a powerful witness. But I also think that the eggs that the chickens grow are the best things I've ever tasted.
1: <laughs> I'm afraid that's why I'm not a vegan, too. <laughs> that uh, The fact that we do have chickens and that I come from the dairy state. I mean, its I give it up. That's like being unpatriotic, and I probably should go to jail for that or something. I don't know. Anyway, tell me a little bit more about what Quaker Earth Care Witness is doing. Since you're editing the newsletter, you're bringing these strands together. Could you share a little bit more of where the cutting edge is with respect to that?
3: In general, the place where I am most excited about right now at Quaker Earth Care Witness is finding new ways to give hope and kind of a spiritual grounding to Quakers around climate change. I find myself so easily being able to move into that place of despair, especially if I'm reading the news too much. And I've realized that it's not enough for me to do the activist work or kind of work on the justice piece, but I need to be really strong in my spiritual grounding and so being part of the Quaker Earth Care Witness Network and um, being able to connect with people who care about these things, too, has really helped me feel hopeful um, or at least not despairing. So I think that sp- the spiritual element is really what Quaker Earth Care Witness is about. We do a lot of really interesting projects, and I'll just mention um, one that I think is is a, a very practical thing that we do, which is offer small grants to friends working on uh, environmental concerns projects. Um, And when I was at the Casa de los Amigos, we put in solar water heater, a whole bike sharing system, new composter, thanks to the Quaker Earth Care Witness grants, which is actually how I heard about Quaker Earth Care Witness. And so I'd lift that up as being a a really practical, concrete thing that we can do to support Quakers in, in their home communities.
1: There's more we could talk about, except we can't, because it it is time to go elsewhere. I thank you so much. We've been speaking with Haley Hathaway. She is the Publications Manager for Quaker Earth Care Witness, their website, quakerearthcare.org. She's part of the South of Monadnock community, southofmonadnock.org is their website, learn about community, learn about Twin Oaks, learn about these other places who are trying to live differently on the earth to make it a sustainable earth, a place where we can all live well. There's much more I can share about that. We'll have some more links on Nordenspiritradio.org, but mainly I just think it's inspirational, Haley, that you're doing this wrestling at an age when I still hadn't come to grips with it. It feels to me like if I could only do my youth again, I'd try and do it as well as you did. Thank you for doing that and for joining me today.
3: Thanks so much.
1: And folks, you can find this and other episodes on northernspiritradio.org. And we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action.